Okay, so if you have your Bibles, your second sermon this morning is going to be a continuation. <laughs> Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that what we're looking at are truths that are beyond our comprehension. Uh, thank you that this isn't just some vain hope we have, but this is reality. This is what will happen. And we just worship you in our hearts and with our mouths and say, oh God, without you, what hope is there? There is none. So we bless you. We love you. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing the Journey Home series. Some of you may think, haven't we got there yet? Actually, (laughs) we've got a few more to go. And this morning, we're going to look at the whole subject of Judgment Day. Remember, we've we've gone through what happens when we die heaven and hell, and now this is Judgment Day. So this is when Jesus has returned and he assembles all persons living and dead together. So I'll just give you a flavour by reading from Revelation 20, beginning verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a picture of that day when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I'll unpick that a little bit more next week. But this day is inescapable. Whether you believe in Jesus, whether you don't, whether you believe in some other religion, it is with greatest respect, irrelevant. This day, you will not escape. Hebrews 9 tells us that people are destined to die once and after that, face judgment. Some of you are old enough to remember Eamon Holmes with his programme, This Is is Your Life. He was was Irish, which was pretty rubbish, wasn't it? But do you remember that, where he came in with a big, big red book? Well, guys, this will be your life on that day. The books are opened, and in those books are records of all our deeds. And this day, this judgment day, is regularly highlighted throughout Scripture. In John 5, Jesus says, Whoever hears my words and believe him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed from death to life. There's a distinction for the Christian and the non-Christian on this day. The Christian will give an account for their life but we'll come to that next week. The non-Christian will be judged as to their eternity. For Christians, we are assured that come that day, we know where we go. We will be with Jesus. For the non-Christian, they'll primarily be utterly shocked and surprised and desperate. And God throughout Scripture has has made judgments. Noah's flood remember, was because of the evil of humanity. 
The Tower of Babel was for the arrogance of humanity. Sodom and Gomorrah for the immorality of humanity. Individuals are judged by God. Nations were judged by God. And even angels have been judged by God. God, as creator of all things, has every right to call those he created to account. He sets the standards and he calls us to account for our lives according to his standards. As I say, the Christian's outcome is assured. And next week we will look into that more. We will look into the whole issue of next week, next time, eternal rewards. What are they? Can we lose them? And if we can lose them, what are the consequences? But I want to say at the outset, your eternity with Jesus is utterly assured because of your faith in him, not because of your works. But today, what I want to do is to help us understand the utter necessity for this day of judgment and how its reality should affect us for every day of our life. And there are four key areas or four key ways that this judgment day should affect you and I today, tomorrow, etc. The first reason is this, is that a day of judgment for all humanity satisfies the need for justice in our hearts. We all cry out, don't we, when we hear of a heinous crime and the perpetrator seems to get off scot-free. When somebody does something to us and there's no consequence or accountability for them, there's something in us that cries, that is just not right. And on the other hand, we agree when a court sentences a convict or a person to a long, lengthy term in prison for their crimes. There's something in us that says that's absolutely how it should be. That is justice. You see, there is, need, there is a need in each of us to see justice dispensed. Without a day of judgment, why should anyone try to live to a better standard of life? If there was no accountability for our lives, why would we bother? Why would an unbeliever even bother? Why try to be kind, considerate and selfless? Where is restraint is that if there is no consequence? If there's no judge who sits on the bench, there's no hope. Every human being conceived will face God and books will be opened and their life's actions and choices will be called to account. And until then, justice on earth may not be seen. People do get away with things that we think they shouldn't. But no one will escape the ultimate day of judgment. Whether you're rich or poor, emperors or slaves, famous or unknown, no matter who you are or what you believe, the Bible repeatedly warns us that we will all stand before God and give account for our lives. In Revelation 6, there's this wonderful picture 
around the throne of God, where the martyrs, people who had been executed, who had lost their life on earth for their faith in Jesus, where they're crying out to God and they say, how long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? This voice is going to the throne of God saying, how long until we see justice for what they did to us? The Psalms, many of them regularly speak about God, why do the wicked prosper? And then you find later, they find comfort in the fact that one day they will be called to account. And if you read through Jeremiah, it's a similar story. That Jeremiah is crying out, where is justice? But finds comfort that God will judge these people one day. Knowing there is a day of judgment satisfies our inbuilt need for justice in our hearts and brings comfort when we are the recipients of wickedness and evil. Christians of all ages have understood this as they have suffered for their faith. Indeed, still, still, we read stories of Christians today who are burnt alive for their faith, beheaded, oppressed, And yet, this doctrine is here, this day is here, so that they can find some comfort at that time. I'm going to read you one of my favourite stories. In AD 155, so it wasn't so soon after Jesus had returned to the Father, Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna. Now, Smyrna is an area, and you can see it in one of the seven letters in Revelation. So Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna, was burnt alive. Let me read you what happened. Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, was martyred on Saturday the 23rd of February, AD 155. It was the time of the public games. The city was crowded and the crowds were excited. Suddenly the shout went up, away with the atheists. Let Polycarp be searched for. No doubt Polycarp could have escaped, but already he had had a dream vision in which he saw the pillow under his head burning with fire and he had wakened to tell his disciples, I must be burnt alive. His whereabouts were betrayed by a slave who collapsed under torture. They came to arrest him. He ordered that they should be given a meal and provided with all they wished whilst he asked for himself the privilege of one last hour in prayer. Not even the police captain wished to see Polycarp die. On the brief journey to the city, he pleaded with the old man, what harm is it to say Caesar is Lord and to offer a sacrifice and be saved? But Polycarp was adamant that for him only Jesus Christ was Lord. When he entered the arena, there came a voice from heaven saying, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. The proconsul gave him the choice of cursing the name of Christ and making sacrifice to Caesar or death. Polycarp said, Eighty and six years have I served him. He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul threatened him with burning, and Polycarp replied, You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched, for you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come do what you will. Isn't that a great way to die? 
Isn't that? But you see, Polycarp tied to the stake, and actually they didn't tie him. He stood there. He didn't let them tie him. He said, I will not move. Polycarp saw that though he may suffer briefly, his need for justice would be met because one day they would face his God. The day of judgment that we will all face and experience satisfies that inner need in us for justice. But there's, that goes on to the second point. The certainty of a day of judgment enables me to forgive those who wrong me. Paul said in Romans 12, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. How can the parent of a murdered or abused child be able to forgive and not seek revenge? How can loved ones forgive the terrorists, the militants who bomb, behead or torture their family and their friends? How can we show restraint restraint, and help others not to take up the gun in order to seek their revenge? How can we forgive when these atrocious things happen? Because as Christians, God tells us, revenge is his, not ours. And Jesus demonstrates this. Peter says in his first letter, 1 Peter 2, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus, when he suffered on the cross, wasn't seeking revenge on those people. He entrusted judgment to the Father. Forgiveness is not trying to forget about the incident, but it's a conscious decision to release the pain and your need for justice into the hands of him who will judge justly. Personally, I would much rather trust God's justice than my definition of it. I think mine may be a little prejudice to suit what I think. For those who do not know Jesus personally, every sin, every act of evil, every rebellious moment, every rejection of Jesus Christ will be revealed and will be punished for nothing will escape his attention. So God's day of judgment enables me 
to forgive and not seek revenge, even though it may hurt, even though at the time it may seem unfair, because I will entrust my need for justice to him who will judge justly. And then thirdly, a day of judgment motivates me to live to please God. And as I keep saying, (laughs) because I'm advertising it a lot, I'll go into this more next time. But my acts of faith, my good works, the sacrifice that I make, all account for something. There are rewards to receive, and there are rewards to lose. In Matthew 6, Jesus likens our good good decisions as storing treasure in heaven so that my eyes and heart can look to that time when, when those treasures are revealed. What they are, we'll go into next time. But knowing that what I do or what I don't do or what I do with the wrong motives all counts towards me or against me should motivate me to please God. We can talk like this because we're hopefully building a foundation in our church that we understand we are saved by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is a foundation that nothing can shake. But we also have to be real to recognize that is not a liberty to live as we please. That's a liberty to serve God and to seek to honor him by the way we live. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, he's talking about the day of judgment or accountability, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, okay? Even though only as one escaping through the flames. Dear friends, recognizing that one day my life will be held to account before God motivates me to actually serve him for his glory and purposes. Motivates me to make the right choices. Motivates me to make sure my motives are pure in the choices I make. We may gain reward or we may suffer loss, yet we will be saved from the eternal fire. Fourthly, knowing there is a day of judgment must surely, surely shake any indifference I may have towards the plight of the unsaved. Surely I cannot be indifferent to the plight of Friends, neighbours, family, strangers, work colleagues who don't know Jesus. The reality of that day of judgment, knowing what will happen. Come on, 
surely it means we're beyond this, oh, I'm a bit nervous about talking about Jesus, or I don't know whether they'll love me, or accept me, or make fun of me. When we understand their consequences, surely it should move us to share with them, pray for them, demonstrate to them that there is a God. And whether they know him or not, one day they will stand before him and give an account. So I hope you can see why there must be a day of judgment. Justice needs to be done. God's day of judgment enables me to forgive so that God can hold the revenge that I may feel in his righteous hands. The day of judgment motivates me to live to please God because my life will be held account, accountable. And the day of judgment surely must challenge me to share my faith and the truth about Jesus. But let me say this. Who can stand before God on merit alone? I'm sure you, like me, over the years have talked to many people who don't know Jesus, think they know God, and basically their definition of whether they're going to heaven or hell is based on, well, I'm better than him down the road or her down the road, or I haven't ever done this, but I may have done that. But the balance is weighed in my favour. And yet the Bible clearly warns us we have all sinned and all fallen short of God's standards. And the consequence of that, on that day, if we stand before God with that st sin still in a book, which God has, is that we are cast into the eternal lake of fire, eternally separated from the presence of God. Yet, because of Jesus, this is not the end story for all of us. For he came, as we've sung this morning, as Dio's spoken. He came as our propitiation. He came as the one to appease an angry party. God was furious with our sin, demanding justice. And in his grace, he dispensed his justice on none other than the one who would judge us. So there is hope for that day. But that hope is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. And we only recognise our need for Jesus when we recognise our need to be forgiven. Jesus isn't something or someone we tack on to our life. We do a few religious things, go to a few religious meetings, we say a few religious sentences. Jesus is only relevant to us when we recognise our need for forgiveness for disobeying God and our fear of standing before him to give an account with no merit of our own. Then we realise, now I see why Jesus came. Now I see why he suffered. Now I understand that by my faith in him and receiving him as my Lord, God takes my sin 
and the justice he would dispense on my sin and places it on the shoulder of his son. It's an exchange like no other. God takes our punishment and places it on Jesus and then takes Jesus' righteousness, his right standing with God, and places it on us. You will never get a better offer throughout eternity. In Isaiah 53, <coughs> Isaiah said he was crushed for our iniquities, speaking of Jesus. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, sin that is not forgiven by God chains us, and impending punishment enslaves us. And I cannot come before God with any merit of my own. There is no good works I or anyone who's ever been born can do that will hide their sin. Yet the one who sits on the throne says, will you receive me as your Lord and Saviour? Will you lay down your life and choose to follow me? And if we say yes, then with tears of joy and humility, we hear the smashing of chains and we're set free. Because all that condemnation and guilt and impending justice and judgment that was on me is placed on him. My question this morning is, guys, are you sure you've made the right decision? You see, no decision is a decision. Not to accept Jesus is to reject him. Has your punishment for your sin been placed on his shoulders? And have, in turn, you received the Holy Spirit because of your faith in him who affirms to you inside that the transaction is complete? If not, then today you can know that freedom, not because of any clever words, but... I don't use clever words, but not because of any words I've said. But because God, by his spirit, is saying to you deep inside, you really don't want to face me on that day without having your sins paid for. The day of God's judgment satisfies our inbuilt desire for justice. It enables us to forgive others. It motivates us to live lives to please him. And it urges us to go and tell others of the benefits of knowing Jesus Christ. But dear friends, come that moment which we will all experience when the books that we read about in Revelation are opened. The most important thing will be which book is opened when your name is called out? If it's not the book of life that has stamped across it, paid in full, then it will be the alternative book which will lead you to an eternal separation from God. Which book is yours?
Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we just want to say to you, we're just humbled by your goodness. We're moved and changed by your amazing love that you pour out upon us. We talk and we try and capture pictures of these truths in Scripture and our comprehension and imagination cannot grasp it. But that which is of most importance you have made clear to us. And we want to thank you that because of our faith in you and because we know the Holy Spirit lives in us, we are, we are in the book of life. But Lord, I do pray. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord God. I pray that where there is a cry for justice in their hearts, that day would be a comfort to them to know that justice will be served. If it's not on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, then it will be in the eternal lake of fire. Where there is an unforgiveness because of wrong that has been done to us, I want to pray, Holy Spirit, Right now, you would enable us to say in our hearts, justice, or rather revenge, is the Lord's, not mine. And I pray you would bring healing where there's been bitterness and unforgiveness. Lord Jesus, I pray for our lives, that we don't strive to live to please you, to earn something that we already have, like our salvation. But because of our salvation, we are motivated to respond in love and give ourselves to serve you. I pray, may we be men and women who passionately live for your glory. And Lord Jesus, forgive us for our indifference towards the lost, for our complacency about their plight. And would you renew in us a desire to proclaim this wonderful message at every opportunity, making and creating opportunities and living in such a way that others would look at us and say, what is there about you that's so different? And may this all be for your glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. See you soon. See you Tuesday night.